Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you on this uh, frigid uh, weekend, but uh, we're going to warm things up in here. Uh, this weekend is a time when we pay honor and memory to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his vision for justice and dignity and equality of all races. And given where our nation is these days, I think it would be good for us to pray and, and just seek out God's continual will and help in order to bring this vision to pass. Let's pray. Father God, we humble ourselves before you. We, we sense the trouble in our society, O oh Lord, and we know the cause. The cause is selfishness, self-centeredness. And God, um, we desire so much that indeed the dream would be a reality, a place, Lord, where people of every color, of every nation would be welcomed and would be treated, Lord, with a sense of dignity. Father God, I pray and ask that as your followers, we would exemplify that in our own lives. The true freedom comes in relationship with Jesus Christ, who we represent. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that you would forgive us the times that we have misrepresented you. I pray that you would help us to lead the way in our personal relationships by showing and demonstrating the love and the grace of God, that we would truly see ourselves as our brother and sister's soul keeper. And so, Lord, we pray for your help in these days. In Christ's name, amen. So we're talking uh, in this series about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. How do you live that out? The reason we're doing that is because sometimes we lose our way. We, we talk about being a Christian, but we don't really behave and act like a Christian. We lose perspective of what Christians are really supposed to be like. When Jesus first began his public ministry, he was very clear. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. The time has come, he said. And then he looked at his followers, potential followers and the people, and he said to them, repent, believe. Believe in the message of joy, this message of God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace. But he issued a stiff challenge. He said, I want you to abdicate this little throne you're sitting on in your life called self. I want you to hand it over to me. I want you to fully devote yourself to me. And so he said, come, follow me. And he said, I will make you to become fishers of people. In other words, follow me, and I'm going to change your life. And in changing your life, we're going to reach in the darkness of this world, and we're going to pull people out. We're going to rescue them with this message that is rescuing you. And so we asked ourselves, well, how do we define then a fully devoted follower of Christ, a Talmud in the Hebrew, or a disciple? We came up with a really simple definition, you might remember. We said a disciple is somebody who's actively following Jesus. They're not sitting still. They're continually letting him sit on the throne of their lives. And we said it's a person who's being changed by Jesus and someone who's on mission with him. And I suggested there are three questions we should always be asking ourselves, asking our spouse, asking our friends who are believers. The first question I'll just ask you is this. It's a question that simply asks, how have you been actively following Jesus this week? How have you been getting off the throne when you've wanted to be on the throne and you allowed him to be in control? How has he been changing you this week? How has he been changing your attitude? How has he been changing your behavior? Change is not always easy, right? And, and how have you been on mission with him? How have you joined Jesus in what he's passionate about? How have you served someone? How have you listened to someone? How have you encouraged someone? How have you shared the faith, perhaps, with someone? 
Those are all the important questions that we need to constantly be asking and answering and holding each other accountable to. And so where's the best place to do all of that? Because we're, we're meant to be in community together. And the answer to the question is very simple. Like Jesus, it's through intentional relationships. Jesus invited the 12 to join him on this journey. And he was very intentional when he invited them. And he's very intentional with what he wanted to do in their lives. And he spent almost three and a half years with them, molding them, shaping them, transferring to them everything that, that he could in order, to, in order to transform them so that they would be transformers in the world. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 4.15 that we're to go on becoming more and more and more like Jesus, which means, you know, it's not just, you know, one-stop shop and you're done, right? It, it means every day there's this, there's this transformation that ought to be happening in my life where I'm following, where I'm being changed, where I'm on mission with Jesus, and, and life, is, life is growing in the Spirit, so to speak. And it's really important that that happens in a small community together. And and I'll I'll tell you why. It's because because more is caught than taught. What I mean by that is we learn not just by hearing a talking head give us information, although that's kind of the Western uh, way of academics. We learn by doing life together. We learn hands-on the best. And that's how Jesus has always intended for us to learn what it means to be one of his followers. If we only take the idea that being a disciple is sitting and listening to somebody like me right now, we're in big trouble. Do you know why? Because the average Christian in America only goes to church 1.6 times a month. Can you imagine only eating 1.6 times a month? And you would not be healthy very long, right? And you'd really have some, you'd have some medical uh, issues with that. You would die. You need more nutrition than that. Well, why do we think that we can show up 1.6 times a month, hear a message that may go 30 minutes, if we can pay attention that long, and thrive spiritually? It's just not going to happen. And even if we showed up every weekend and listened to a 30-minute message and thought that that was enough to fuel our spiritual growth, it's not. Not if we want to be serious about having our lives transformed you know, in the New Testament, they came and listened to the apostles' teaching, but then it says the rest of the week they, they met in each other's homes and they drilled down on what they were hearing and they shared and they bought and sold and gave to those who had need. It was, a, it was this wonderful community of people moving and growing and living together in the grace and the love of God. See, it's in community where, where we can be challenged. It's in community where we can really grow. But just being in a small community together does not guarantee discipleship. Marsh and I have been part of small groups, life groups, real discipleship groups, whatever you want to call them, and throughout our ministry life. And we've noticed that they always have a tendency to drift. They either drift toward groups that become focused on Bible knowledge and theological debate. Some people just love that. They love to go to the group and just discuss and argue scripture. Some groups, uh, they prefer to just talk more about issues and, and needs and problems in the world. And some groups are all about food and fun. Now, which group would you rather go to? I have been known, I've been known to uh, lead some groups into a drift, particularly when there's ice cream present, all right? That can easily happen for me. And what we're talking about here is far greater intention. 
You know, Jesus models this in, in his own time with the disciples. Jesus lived out what he wanted them to do. So for instance, Jesus didn't just talk about forgiveness, he modeled forgiveness. He forgave the woman caught in adultery. He forgave uh, the thieves, the scallywags of the day. He forgave his own followers and they ran out on him and they did. And even on the cross, he echoed those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do regarding those who were crucifying him. And then he called them, his followers, to actually forgive each other and even forgive their enemies. Jesus didn't just talk about feeding the hungry. He actually fed the hungry, and then he invited his disciples to join him in the initiative, taking the little that they had and seeing God multiply it and feeding others. It was not always an easy task to do that. I mean, teaching and training the 12, that was hard. These guys, these guys were rascals. These guys could be competitive. They could be jealous. They could be selfish. When Jesus needed them the most, they were only thinking about themselves. But Jesus never gave up on these guys. In fact, John chapter 13, verse 1, it says that he loved them to the very end. And that passage happens as Jesus is about to celebrate the Last Supper, Holy Communion and go and face the garden and face the beating and face the crucifixion. He loved Peter, though Peter was going to deny him. He loved Judas, though Judas was going to betray him. To the very end. To the very end. That's what it means to be in real community with each other. And Jesus took advantage of every situation that he was with his disciples in to turn it around to help them in and grow in their faith, to grow in their walk and understanding with God. One of my favorite stories happens at 3 a.m. in the morning. Jesus comes walking on the water of the lake called the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are out in a fishing boat. The water is rocking back and forth. It's windy, it's stormy. They're already kind of nervous about their situation. And they see him coming, walking on the water, and they think he's a ghost. And he calls out to them and he says, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, guys, guys, don't be afraid. It's me. You know, it's me. And Peter's response is, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come walking on the water. And so Lord says, come on, do it. Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water some measurable distance. I'm not sure how far. And then he gets his eyes on the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink. And Peter and Jesus reaches his hand down and pulls him out, and they get in the boat. And soon Jesus comes up to him, and he says to him, why did you doubt? Now, we're not privy to the rest of the conversation. At the end of the book of John, it tells us that Jesus taught and said so many things, there are not enough books to contain all of his words. I imagine they had quite a conversation. But my point is, Peter learned more about faith in that experience than he ever would have sitting in a synagogue listening to a 30-minute message. It was like the rubber meets the road. It was like, it was like, it was like truth and life in action together. That's how we learn best. And as I mentioned, Marsha and I have been part of small groups. And, you know, some of those small groups have turned into the dearest and best friends we've ever had. People who poured into our lives, who in our moments of discouragement or challenge in some way, they became Jesus to us. They reminded us of the hope and the promises of Scripture. They prayed with us. They cried with us. They encouraged us. They, they kept us accountable. They challenged us. And even though I've sat through hours and hours of theological lectures, and I have heard some of the best preachers in the country over the years, my spiritual growth 
my greatest spiritual growth has come out of those discipleship, day-to-day life and truth kinds of intersections with other believers who kept me going, kept me encouraged, and kept me challenged way beyond Saturday night or Sunday morning. And so I guess the question I want to ask you is, do you have... Do you have a group like that in your life? Do you have men and women like that in your life? If you do, you are deeply blessed. If you don't, that's what we're endeavoring to do here. We're endeavoring to ask all of our groups that they aren't currently doing this and all of our new groups to be intentionally focused on helping and keeping each other accountable to grow and become like Jesus. As Paul said, we might become more and more like Christ. That means we're going to be asking all of our groups to be extremely intentional. We're going to ask them to have a leader who serves as a shepherd. And that shepherd's responsibility is keep everybody from drifting. Keep them on task. Keep them focused on how do you, you know, how do you grow through this moment in your life? How do you take this truth and apply it in your marriage, in your family, at your job with that cantankerous neighbor (laughs) or with Uncle Fred or whoever it is? How do you do that? We want them to actually study the Word of God, not necessarily books about the Word of God, as important as that is, but get into the Word of God. Lift it out and put it into your life. We want high accountability, high transparency in these groups. And we want them to do something called guided practice, which sounds kind of weird, but here's what guided practice simply means. We want all of our groups to take what they're learning, discussing, and sharing and go reproduce it at work, in their family, at home, at school, wherever it might be, so that we really do become the church of Christ. You know, I've been really thinking a lot about this in the last year and a half. God has really been dealing with my heart about how we do church these days, especially in America, and how I've done church. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad, but I'm concerned about it. It's really easy, you see, to do church based on what's called the attractional model, which is this idea, we just need to put out these really slick, attractive programs and make sure we have sermons and worship experiences that are, that are you know, very attractive, the kind of topics that people want to hear about, get the crowd to come, but then the challenge is, once you get the crowd to come, it's like entertainment. You better, you better keep up in the score or up in the show each time to keep them there. When you're a consumer society, that's the way it works. And I've just been really convicted. That's, that's not what it's supposed to be. Yes, have good programs. Yes, have, have improving preaching. <laughs> but here's the deal. The attraction needs to be our lives. The attraction needs to be my life at work, my life at school, my life in the neighborhood, my life at the gym. I need to shine so brightly with the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control of Christ that it just leaks out of me. And people, you know, when someone wears strong perfume, I mean, you can smell it, right? You know, it's, they know they're there, right? We need to have the aroma of Christ so that people are attracted and they go, what's different about you? What do you have that I don't have? How do you handle life that way? How are you, how are you dealing with those challenges, the way you're dealing with them? Tell me more. See, that's what it means to fish for people. We talked about last weekend. The water is this dark, foreboding place. We go in, shining with the brightness and the, and the, and the joy of the Lord into that darkness. And, and you can't help but see the brightness. And, and people in the darkness, many are attracted to that. And we get to tell them about what Jesus is doing in our lives. That, 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 that is discipleship. That's what the world needs right now. They don't need Christians circling up. They don't need Christians who are navel-gazing. 
They don't need Christians who are retreating and hiding behind something because we're afraid of the world. They, they, need, they need disciples who are, who are going into the world, not to condemn the world. Does that sound like some scripture you've ever heard of? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the way I've got to go into the world. So this awesome message of hope, and the world believes it's a message of hope because they see hope in our face. <laughs> they hear hope in our words. They see hope in our step because God is changing our life, and we get to share that change with others as well. And so that's why you heard Kyle talk about getting in the game. We want you to be part of this revolution that we are praying is going to happen and continue to happen with Dale Church. And that's why on Super Bowl weekend, I hope you're here. hope you're at our own tailgate party where you get to go to the great room and sample what it's like and find out more about it and be ready to maybe get involved in one or lead one or coach one. You say, oh, I've been in small groups before. Oh, my goodness, they're boring. Oh, they're controversial. Oh, nobody gets along with each other. Oh, it's just, just, uh. Have you ever thought that maybe that's because you were in the group? <laughs> say, no, not me. Well, then help us start one. Show us what one is like, all right? Show us what one is like. Because that's, that's the model that Jesus used. I think, I think he knew what he was doing. I, and I, you know, I know our culture works against it. I, I understand that. Our, our culture keeps us so busy. We don't have time. I mean, I mean, getting here 1.6 times a month is in itself a major achievement, and then we suffer for it. We pay the price for it. You know, we, Jesus said, unless you're willing to lose it all, you'll, you will lose it all. Hard challenges, but the benefits, the benefits are huge. Now, some of you have been looking up here, and you're more concerned about the spider web on the, on the board Anything else I've been saying, you're trying to figure out what does that mean? What is he doing with that? Are we doing target practice, throwing darts? Is this a map? Is it a compass? What is that? Well, this is a, this is a wheel. It's like a chart. And what we're going to do this weekend and next weekend is we're going to chart on here the stages or the process of spiritual growth based on the model that Jesus used. We're going to see where people are in their spiritual journey and how you move from one stage to the next. Again, based on the model that Jesus used with his own disciples that we see in the book of Acts. But before we get on the chart, I got to tell you something. There's a problem Christians have. You ready for this? We have a tendency to not be very honest about where we are spiritually. It's true. We have a tendency not to be very honest about where we're at in our spiritual journey, which I just really don't understand. But actually, I do understand a little bit because years ago, a friend of mine uh, got in big trouble with alcohol. He'd actually been in trouble. He was losing a lot of things in his life, and it got so bad that an intervention had to take place. I was part of the intervention. And the result of that, um, his life was really revolutionized. And one of the things that changed his life uh, was going to AA and the, you know, the 12-step program. And he asked me to go with him. And at first I was like, uh, that's not who I am. <laughs> you know, that's really not for me. And then I thought, no, I, I want to show him, I support him, and I care about him, and I love him. So, so I started going to AA meetings, and I discovered that I really liked it. 
say, why? Why did you like it so much? And that's the question I'd ask myself. I would go home and I would ask myself when I would go home, what is it about AA that's missing in the church? What is it that, that I sense there that it ought to be in the church that I'm leading? And a couple of things came to my mind. One was raw honesty. I mean, they, they show up and it's, you know, hi, I'm Dale and I'm an alcoholic and everybody says, Okay, which means I am too, right? So in the church, it ought to be like this. Hi, I'm Dale, and I'm a sinner. All right, let's just be honest. We are sinners saved by grace. So they're really, they're, they're really honest. Secondly, they call each other out. You know, in AA, what you discover is some people want to excuse their drunkenness. It's like, nobody's got it like I've got it. And they're really good at saying, shut up and sit down. You're just an ordinary drunk like the rest of us. And sometimes we do the same thing, don't we, in church? Oh, nobody's got it as bad as I got it. Come on, we don't say shut up. Please be quiet. <laughs> You're a sinner just like the rest of us. No excuse for it. But they also care for each other. They, they, they are there to help each other overcome this addiction. That's why I love our Celebrate Recovery groups. We want to help people overcome the addiction. So they're there together because they recognize they're one drink away from death. It's a sense of desperation. When people come in that door, man, they're on them to help them. And they're committed to taking this message out to others who are struggling as well. And I thought, isn't that the church? I'm Dale, I'm a sinner, I'm struggling. If it was not for the grace of God, I'd, I'd, I'd be dead in my sins. Like really dead in my sins, separated from God for eternity, hell. Jesus came by his grace and he's rescued me, saved me, pulled me out of this mess. I'm in relationship with other Christians because we're not perfect yet. And, you know, it's easy for us to fall back in the hole again. So we're on this journey together in case somebody trips. So when they trip, we don't stomp on them. When they trip, we pick them up. We carry them along. It's not easy, but we carry them along. And, and when somebody walks in our doors, oh, man, we're there to help them, encourage them. And we know there's this, all these other people out there who, who need this message of hope. So we're always committed to how do we get this message out there to them? I mean, can you imagine if we were all on the Titanic and it sunk and we're all now in the water and the lifeboat comes along and somebody hauls us in the lifeboat. Now we're in the boat, we're oaring the boat with them and there's all these other people in the water. How many of us are gonna think to ourselves, man, I'm glad that's not me anymore, poor people. Hope they make it. I hope you stopped the boat and said, hey, somebody rescued me, I'm gonna rescue them. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be like? But we have a tendency to show up at church and and be dishonest about where we're at spiritually. I don't get it, all right? It's just, just human nature. But, you know, like I got the nice, the nice suit coat on. It's Communion Sunday, all right? Got my outfit on, right? Got to look good. Got to look like a pastor. Of course, last weekend I gave you an insight into just, you know, how I can be very unpastorally. If you missed that message, you can go online and watch it. I've heard more about that message than probably any message I've preached in a long time just because I told a story about myself. Got vulnerable and honest. Isn't that interesting, though? We crave vulnerability and honesty, don't we? We crave to know that we're not perfect people, that we're all, we're all, in, you know, we're all in progress. Why can't we just be honest with each other and share our struggles and not fear being condemned and judged being challenged, being held accountable, but off of sake of growing and moving in our journey with God. You say, why did you belabor that so long? Because, because you cannot grow in your spiritual journey if you're not willing to be honest where you are. 
So with that in mind, we're going to start with the very first stage of spiritual growth, all right? And um, that stage, if you want to write it down, and you have this in your outline, you have it online as well, so pull, pull that out, all right? Is um, we all start out spiritually dead. That's really encouraging, isn't it, huh? That's where we start. We all start out spiritually dead. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read to you what he says, beginning in verse 1. He says, as for you, he's writing believers in Ephesus and other places where the letter would have been read, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. See, before Jesus called Peter, James, John, before he found Paul on the road to Damascus, they were all spiritually dead. I was born, you were born spiritually dead. Which means that our lives are characterized, you want to write this in, by unbelief. It's like hieroglyphics, by unbelief. By unbelief. See, how do you know if, uh, how do I know if I'm spiritually dead or how do you know if someone is? Just, just listen to them. Listen to the things they say. Like, this is a dead giveaway. I don't believe in God. If you don't believe in God, you're spiritually dead, right? Or another one might be um, something like, well, the Bible, I think the Bible is just all, it's just full of myths. Yeah, good ones, interesting ones. So it's just mythical, probably spiritually dead. Or, you know, I, I don't believe there's any one way to God. I, I believe what matters is that you live a good life, the best life you can live. Be sincere, probably spiritually dead. Ah, Christians, ah, Christians, I, I, I'm not into Christianity. Uh, they're all so intolerant, probably spiritually dead. Or you know what? There are many paths to God. Christianity is just one path, perhaps spiritually dead. You have to explore those more, but those are all telltale signs that the person's probably spiritually dead. So then the question becomes, what do they need? How do, they, how do you get out of that piece of the puzzle? And the answer to the question is, someone has to share the gospel. Jesus said, unless you believe this message of joy, this good news, you you know, nothing's going to change in your life. Romans 10, Paul says, blessed are the feet of those who take the good news to others who have not heard. Now, just because I share the gospel does not mean that people are automatically going to accept it and agree with it. And that's why it should only be shared out of a cultivated relationship with people. But there have been moments when I have been called upon by God to share the gospel without hardly knowing somebody. I've been shocked at the fact that they've responded so well to it because God was already at work in their life. I was thinking about one of those stories this week. Years ago, I walked into a local gym, not here, somewhere else, at 5 a.m. in the morning. Who gets up and works out at 5 a.m.? And I'm like the first guy in there. The owner had just opened it and 
He's this big guy, he's just buff, strong, long ponytail, masculine, ripped kind of guy. And uh, he looks at me and I you know, wave my card under the scanner and he doesn't smile and I don't smile. People don't smile at 5 a.m. And I start working out in the machine. I'm the only guy in the gym. And, and I notice he's sitting at his desk behind the counter and his, his head is buried in something. I work out for about 45 minutes and get ready to leave. I've been, kind of, I've been praying for him. I felt convicted I should be praying for this guy. And, and then as I get ready to leave, I had this, this urge just come over me, go, go talk to him about me. Now, there's sometimes I'm happy to listen to that. There are the times that I want to go to the corner and say, God, really him? Now in a gym at 5 a.m.? Highly know this guy. But I can't get rid of the urge, and I, I'm, I'm convicted I need to do it. So I'm mustering up my courage. I walk over the counters like this. He's down here doing his stuff. And I'm so curious what he's been doing that I actually lean over to look at what he's doing. And then he gives me that look like, what are you doing right now? This is not your business. And I am absolutely shocked because when I lean over and look, I see this big whopping Bible open. And out of my mouth spontaneously come the words, do you understand what you are reading? Now think about that for a moment. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And he's asking me if I understand what I'm reading. What does he think? I, I'm illiterate? Remember when, when Philip shows up and the Ethiopian's in the chariot and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah? That's exactly what Philip said. Do you understand what you're reading? And I didn't realize I was parroting what Philip said. I'm so thankful he didn't punch me back in the nose. What happened is we ended up in a wonderful conversation that eventually led to him being born again. Jesus talks about in John 3. Going from reading it because there had been a, a tragedy in his life that had caused him to search out the scriptures to actually embracing the hope of eternal life. But I also have a friend who I've been recently talking to and we're working on our friendship and and I haven't asked him if he understands what he's been reading. He's been asking me a lot of questions about God because he knows I'm a pastor. And uh, I thought things were going really well until recently he just kind of closed the conversation up. He's kind of been avoiding me. And it's like, okay, I got to let this thing go. Maybe it's somebody else that will eventually lead him. Maybe I'm planting a seed. But I'm still going to love the guy. I'm still going to try my best to be as good a friend as I can be. See, our job is to share the gospel. It is, it is the Holy Spirit who changes the life. Now, I don't have time to finish out the graph this weekend, right? So we're going to move through this next weekend. But actually, I have two messages prepared for next weekend. I've got this message prepared for next weekend. And if the Vikings lose, I have one on overcoming depression. All right? Hopefully, that will not be needed. All right? Uh, but we're going to work through this, and when we get to this third stage, I'm going to tell you right now, this is where the majority of Christians are in the church today, in this third stage. And, and you'll find out why, because I'll give you the telltale signs that may make some of us a little uncomfortable, but that's, that's next weekend, all right? And um, I, I'm told it's supposed to warm up next weekend, so we'll pray and have faith for that, all right? And we'll, mo we'll move through this. The importance is being honest about where I am and then learning how I move through the process the way Jesus wants me to move through it, and then what do I do with this? Because this is, this is something that we're to practice in our life with each other. 
in community together. I need to know where everybody in my community is because I'm responsible to help them move to the next stage. So what do you do when you get to this stage? That's a good question for next weekend. And we'll talk about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, um, I just thank you, God, that you have invited us into a journey with you. And I thank you, Father, that you've called me, you've called us out of the spiritually dead state into a spiritual state of being alive in Christ Jesus. But Father, it must grieve your heart when we stagnate and we stay. We don't grow and we don't, we don't transform. Father, we'll never be completely like Jesus in this, in this life. And so there's so much more for, for us, Lord, to, to practice and to experience. And God, you paid a great price so that we could know the fullness of your son. You sacrificed your son in order that your son might save our lives, that your spirit might come to dwell in our lives. Father, that's the life you're looking for. That's the church you want. A church composed of believers who are totally sold out to you. And God, that, that's just a day-to-day -day journey. And we can't do it on our own. Help us, we pray.